Hello, and welcome to my office. It's Carrie Lorenz. Today I'm flying solo to share with you a special Memorial Day message. First, though, let's take a second to pause and remember why and how Memorial Day began. Memorial Day was established by presidential decree on May 5, 1868, and first observed on May 30, 1868, when all of the graves at Arlington National Cemetery, both Union and Confederate, were decorated with flags and flowers. It was only three short years after the end of our Civil War, a war in which over 600,000 lost their lives, and where we, as a country, decided it was important to set aside a day to remember those we lost in selfless service of country. For 152 years, we've remembered the lives lost of over 1 million Americans, those who answered the call, who raised their hands, who stepped into the breach, and who ultimately gave their lives in service some on the home front in training, others far away from home. Two world wars, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, places like Guadalcanal, Iwo Jima, the shores of Normandy, the valleys of Afghanistan, Mosul, places that I fear, unfortunately today, too many Americans may not be able to find on a map while others we lost close to home, off the coast of California, over the Gulf of Mexico, in the deserts of Arizona, or the hills of Virginia. Regardless of the location of loss, there was a selfless devotion and belief in country, an unshakable commitment to squadron mates, squad mates, platoons, to a dedication to a cause bigger than self, so that family members friends, loved ones, could sleep soundly, freely at night. But unfortunately, because of time, circumstances, that fewer than 1% of Americans have served, or simply a shift in our attention, these stories of sacrifice, bravery, families racked by loss, grieving what could have been, while at the same time hanging on to the pride of what was given in service to our country, these stories, this history, these lessons of shared sacrifice are being lost in the noise, the chaos. Knowing history, the past beyond last week, last month, last year, or what any social media algorithm turns up, offers perspective on what can appear to be the overwhelming problems of the present. History is what gives me confidence in my and your ability to weather any storm. When you understand history, when you read about the battles fought, listen to the firsthand accounts and observations of struggles to overcome, to survive, and witness the endurance and achievements of those who have gone before you, then everything should feel more doable, more possible. I'm often asked who inspired me, who my role models or mentors were, or what quotes I find inspirational. In order for me to give you my most honest answer to that question, I need you to join me on a journey in taking a step back in time. 
I grew up just north of the spot where one of the world's biggest and best air shows is held, the Experimental Aircraft Association Air Show in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Every summer, my dad would take my brother and me down to the show to meet some of his old squadron mates, to climb over rare old aircraft, and even chat with some real live pilots. On only a handful of occasions did I ever meet female pilots. But on one sultry summer afternoon, when I was about 11 years old, I met a WASP, one of the women Air Force service pilots, a member of the amazing group of women who stepped into male military pilot roles during World War II. Little did I know at that time how her service, their service, would be the ladder that was put down for me. In 1942, the United States was facing a critical shortage of pilots, the majority of whom were being sent to Europe or the Pacific for combat operations. After the bombing of Pearl Harbor, the rate of airplanes being produced had doubled, and more pilots were needed to test airplanes, train pilots, and ferry aircraft. Now, up to this point, women had never flown military aircraft. The decision was made to start a program first to see if women could serve as military pilots and, if so, then to train women to fly military aircraft so men could be released for combat. The original program was called the Women's Auxiliary Ferrying Squadron, the WAFs, and was commanded by Nancy Harkness Love, a well-known commercial pilot and test pilot who had been working in a civil service position in the ferrying division at Air Transport Command in Washington, D.C. Initially, the standard for women to even apply to join the WAFs was astoundingly higher than for any men who wanted to fly for the military. Male applicants needed zero flight time logged to be considered for service. Zero. The women, they were required to demonstrate 500 hours of prior experience. 500 hours. They also needed to hold a commercial license with at least a 200 horsepower rating. Now, something worth noting, 200 horsepower airplanes had engines bigger than those in the military training command. That's not all, though. They were expected to personally kick in an additional $100 to cover uniform expenses. General Hap Arnold commanding general of the United States Army Air Forces, recognized that there was no way the U.S. could ever find enough women with the entry qualifications that were being demanded. So he authorized standing up a second squadron. This one was led by Jacqueline Cochran, an uber-talented air racer and speed record setter at the time. Although the application requirements had started at 200 hours of flight time, they were quickly reduced to 35 hours. But even at 35 hours, the hours were being used as a screen, an effort to eliminate women applicants early, as if not having flight time was an indicator that the women lacked fitness or tenacity. Eventually, the two separate women's squadrons merged and were renamed the Women's Air Force Service Pilots, the WASPs. 
The WASPs drew over 25,000 applicants. 1,830 were accepted. 1,074 earned their wings. And 38? 38 lost their lives taking part in flying duties while serving their country. The WASPs ferried more than 12,000 aircraft of 78 types. They flew more than 2 million hours, and they served without military benefits and were paid less than half as much as the male civilian ferry pilots they had replaced. Though not trained for combat, the WASPs flew a total of 60 million miles, performing operational test flights, smoke laying, towing aerial targets with male gunners firing live ammo at them. They were transporting cargo and did a variety of other missions. By December 1944, the WASPs had flown every type of military aircraft manufactured for World War II and had a better safety record than the men who were doing the same jobs. Propelled by passion and patriotism, the WASPs were willing to make the same sacrifices as their male counterparts for a lot less in return. They were all volunteers, civilians who, though their entry requirements were far greater than for the men, underwent the same rigorous physical training and testing that the men did. As you might imagine, they were frequently held to higher personal and professional standards than what were required of the men. They endured discrimination, false press reports, and outright sabotage. The WASPs, though, played a critical part, not only in winning the war, but in handily destroying the notion that women couldn't fly as military pilots. When the war was won and the men came home, the WASPs were told to pack up their gear, put away their leather jackets, and return home to be good wives, mothers, and sisters. Their presence and their service were simply no longer required. To add insult to injury, the WASPs were not officially recognized as military pilots in the wartime effort. There were no graveside ceremonies, no official acknowledgement from the military to their families who were collapsing in grief from the losses they endured. They had big dreams. They had achieved esteemed flight status. Some paid the ultimate price with 38 WASPs dying in service. And then those that survived had it all unceremoniously snatched away. This was an excruciatingly painful experience for the majority of women and their extended families. For many, losing squadron mates, losing best friends, having the value of their contribution dismissed and ignored, devastated their core sense of self. As the rest of the country moved on, as the rest of our country moved on, they'd lost the very work that had provided them with teammates and friends, a sense of purpose, and a sense of their potential. Some never completely recovered from the feelings of heartbreak and having been betrayed. Most WASPs looked for jobs in the aviation field, but even with hundreds, some thousands of hours of experience, they were turned away. 
The industry hired only the men returning from war. The women were turned down repeatedly, not because they weren't qualified, but simply because of their gender. Few shared their stories. Many dipped into despair, retreat, isolation. There would be no place in history books for them. No GI Bill benefits to transform their lives. No plum aviation jobs. No health care benefits or services. No flags to put above mantles for those who lost a loved one in service. The United States seemed to forget that women ever flew. And yet, they were the forgotten heroines of World War II. After the wasps were disbanded, it would be another 30 years before women would once again be allowed to fly in military aviation. And those women would once again have to fight the same barriers, obstacles, and misperceptions as the women in World War II. Decades passed until finally a handful of wasps doubled down and lobbied Congress, the Senate, and the VA year after year after year to have their military service acknowledged. Many spent the last years of their lives fighting for that recognition, fighting for their contribution, fighting for the memories of their squadron mates. In late 1977, President Carter signed H.R. 8701, the GI Bill Improvement Act, with an amendment officially declaring the women Air Force service pilots as having served on active duty in the armed forces of the United States for purposes of laws administered by the Veterans Administration. However, that bit of recognition was fraught with loopholes that still denied the WASPs most veterans' benefits. So, their fight continued. It wasn't until June 2009 that Congress voted to give the WASPs the Congressional Gold Medal, the highest civilian honor Congress can bestow. The WASPs received the medal in a ceremony on March 2010 at the White House. By then, most of the women had already passed, never having been formally recognized or even acknowledged for their service and sacrifice. The WASPs rose to the challenge of serving their country, and they did so while navigating uncharted waters, overcoming others' long-held beliefs that women couldn't fly, and overcoming barriers at every point during their service. Airplanes being sabotaged, leadership that didn't support them, demands that they dare not go for the headline jobs, searing threats of violence if they dared to even show up. They did so while being told to play small, to not appear too pushy, too demanding, too ambitious, too competent, too earnest in asking for what they had earned. Nevertheless, in spite or because of their collective experiences, they put the ladder down. Just after they were recognized in the 1977 GI Bill Improvement Act, they stood up an association, the Women Military Aviators Association, to inspire, encourage, and empower current women military pilots while supporting those who had gone before. They reached out to offer words of encouragement, advice, 
and lessons learned to those who still found themselves one of few, if any, women in their squadron. Today, the organization still exists. Its mission is to promote and preserve for historical, educational, and literary purposes the role of women pilots, navigators, and aircrew in the service of their country during times of both war and peace. Those women turned their struggles into a shared strength, and they put the ladder down to help lift up the women who came after them. Several years ago, after my military service was done, I was fortunate enough to serve on the board and then be president of the Women Military Aviators Association. During that time, I also had the good fortune to deepen my friendship with some women who I had not only long admired, but who had become also really great mentors as well. Their experience spanned not just years, but decades, from aviators just a generation before me to the women who flew in the 1940s, the WASPs themselves. I wish I would have had access to those friendships, access to their stories, and even that mentorship when I was still in the military. I remember a lengthy conversation with WASP Dawn Seymour at an aviation conference several years before she passed away, in which she shared how, after the WASP program shut down, she was so crushed that she had packed all of her gear, her pictures, and even her memories in a trunk and hid it away in a closet. For decades, she never shared her experiences, not with her friends, not her family, not even her kids. No one knew she had been a wasp. That trunk eventually moved to her bedroom in the open, but no one was allowed to touch it, to open it, or even to speak about it. Finally, in the 1970s, 30 years after her service, she went to her first reunion. It wasn't until the 1980s that she felt strong enough to reestablish many of those relationships. Nearly 40 years later, 40 years, she finally shared with her kids the story of her service. It's still the case that the overwhelming majority of Americans alive today have not even heard of the WASPs. And that's why I'm sharing their story, because they and the women who followed them overcame They persisted, they fought for our country, for each other, for justice, and simply for a fair shake. They epitomized tact and unselfishness. They defied judgment, took initiative against all odds. They survived loss, and most important, when broken, responded to that by knitting themselves and each other back together. So how will you measure your life? Who will you put the ladder down for? Through understanding our history, you learn to recognize and respect that all of us stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before, that there's a connection to the past when it comes to the purpose that drives us, the things we've endured, and what hopefully we can still accomplish. 
It's history that provides the greatest reminder that when you focus on your span of control on staying rooted in gratitude and reminding ourselves, at least occasionally, that serving others is one of the noblest choices you can make. So on this Memorial Day, or on the day that this happens to find its way to you, I ask you to simply pause. And if only for a moment, exhale gratitude. Gratitude for those families that sacrificed so much in their unfathomable loss. For the battle buddies that every day live with haunting memories of friends lost, battles fought, dreams shattered. Ours will remain the land of the free and the home of the brave if we both reflect on and learn from our history and then choose to live a life worthy of their sacrifice.